Welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, January 19, 2020. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So our country is full of iconic buildings, uh, like this one. What's this building? Empire State. This is going to be a a call and response one, so you can speak up. Yep. Empire State Building, New York City. Uh, Then there's this building in the Windy City, not Palmdale or Lancaster, the other Windy City. What's this called? Used to be the Sears Tower. Um, Sears thanks you for remembering that it was the Sears Tower, but now it's the Willis Tower. Like, what you talking about, Willis? Uh, maybe. A little old school joke for those who grew up in the 80s. Uh, <laughs> and if you've never been to Seattle, you probably still know that this is called the Space Needle. That's right. Uh, my father's a history buff. He took us to this historical presidential house in Virginia numerous times when we were back visiting relatives. Uh, what is this called? Monticello. That's right. Home of President Thomas Jefferson. Uh, architect fans will know this building located in Mill Run, Pennsylvania. It's called Falling Water. That's right, by uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. And then there's tons of buildings in California, right, that are, that are, that are popular and famous. Uh, this, of course, is? <laughs> Why is that? At the first service, they also said, that's a lovely picture of California smog. The haze over downtown Los Angeles, but I was drawing your attention to the building in the foreground, Griffith Observatory. That's right, yes. Uh, If we go a little bit north, we'll run into the Transamerica Pyramid Building in San Francisco for all of you 49er fans. Go Niners uh, today. Uh, And then back down in LA, there's this amazing architectural creation called the Walt Disney Concert Hall, yes. Uh, up the Central Coast, uh, our second year here, Joey and I had a chance to visit this amazing location, Hearst Castle. You have to go 17,000 times in order to see everything that's there. Like, you got to buy 17,000 different tickets to get on the tours. This is an amazing, amazing place. And then if we head back to, to Pasadena, uh, who knows what this is? The Gamble House. Yeah, the Gamble House. I've passed this three times on my way to the Rose Bowl to watch uh, soccer or football games, uh, park at a, a remote location, and then walk through. So lots of uh, interesting buildings here in Southern California. If you go to the Antelope Valley, I mean, other than the uh, Kaiser Permanente Butterfly Building, right? <laughs> like, I'm thinking, what are the famous buildings up here? And then I saw this, right? The Hindu Temple of Antelope Valley built in 2015. This beautiful facility is located on... 30th Street West, just uh, north of Avenue M. It houses a 60-foot-long glass meeting hall uh, designed architecturally to look open and inviting. It's directly connected to their main worship center, which sports a 57-foot-tall spire known as a shikara. Well, welcome to the second week in a very interesting sermon series uh, called Christianity and World Religions. And some of you may be a bit surprised as to why an ordained Christian pastor would be spending valuable time on a Sunday morning uh, talking about other faith traditions. 
Why not use that time to talk about uh, aspects of our own faith? Well, or at least, why not be talking about how we can help convert and proselytize people that uh, follow other religions into becoming Christians? Well, there is a time and place for everything, but that's not what this series is about. This series is about bringing us awareness and understanding as to how many of our brothers and sisters here in the Antelope Valley live and move and have their being, how they connect to uh, who they perceive to be the Holy One. It's about sharing information, about dispelling rumors and or misconceptions that we might have about other faith traditions. It's about helping reduce the fear we may have about those who are different from us. And if we're truly going to live out our calling that we say every week, right, we are inspired by Jesus to love, then we need to be willing to love everybody, not just those who call themselves Christians or step inside of these walls on a Sunday morning. Those of different faiths are not our enemies, far from it. They are our neighbors. They are children of God. They are made in the image of God like each and every one of us. So today we're focusing on Hinduism. Of all the world's religions, according to Bruce J. Nichols in his book, The World's Religions, he says that Hinduism is the most difficult to define. It grew gradually over a period of 5,000 years, absorbing and assimilating all the religious and cultural movements that grew up in and around India. It has many scriptures which are authoritative, but none that is exclusively so, like we have the Bible. Renowned Hindu scholar K.M. Sen, in his book on Hinduism, wrote this, Hinduism is more like a tree that has grown gradually than like a building that has been erected by some great architect at some definite point in time. I was surprised to find in my research that Hindus believe in an all-encompassing, all-pervading, omnipresent, one true God. But they also believe that this one true God manifests God's self in hundreds, thousands, maybe even millions of ways. Each of these ways is sometimes considered a god or a goddess, and each is intended to provide insight into the one true God. These various images of God help Hindus focus their devotion, and they represent nothing more than imaginative pictures of infinite aspects of the all-pervading one God. The big three, or the Hindu trinity, as they're referred to, are the following gods. Uh, Shiva, the great lord, Brahma, the creator, and Vishnu, the protector. And there are uh, numerous other Hindu gods and goddesses, each uh, helping followers connect in some way or another to some aspect of the one true God. The god Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita declares, However men or women approach me, even so do I accept them, for on all sides, whatever path they may choose... Is mine. When I lived in Hawaii and I did this series with the church I had formerly served in Iaea, I had the chance to speak with Dr. Ramanath Charma, a Sanskrit professor at the University of Hawaii. Dr. Charma impressed on me that at its core, he said, Hinduism is not, it's not really like any religion that we're used to. It's not a set of beliefs. You don't say uh, you have to believe this, this, and this, and then you're a Hindu. He says it's more like uh, there's this value system. They call it dharma. That sustains you. It it holds your life together. It keeps you from falling apart. And he said, the three main components of this Hindu value system, one is that truth can be found everywhere. That there is truth, just, just look in all aspects of life and you'll be able to see it. 
The practice of non-harm, which is simply uh, more than just uh, non-violence, it really encompasses non-harm in what you think, in what you say, and in how you act towards others. And then this respect and compassion for everything, for every uh, person, for every creature, for all of God's creation as well. And then I did some research and found some other aspects of Hindu theology that I thought were interesting. I'm especially grateful to United Methodist Pastor Adam Hamilton, who has a wonderful book and Bible study called Christianity and World Religions. But that the human soul in Hinduism is seen as a part of God. It's actually a piece of God that is inside you, and it's known as the Atman Brahman. Houston Smith, in his seminal work, The World's Religions, writes this, All of us dwell on the brink of the infinite ocean of life's creative power. We carry it within us, supreme strength, the fullness of wisdom, unquenchable joy. It's never thwarted and cannot be destroyed, but it is hidden deep, which is what makes life a problem. So Hindus believe that really the the goal of life is to uh, discover or rediscover that part of God that is hidden deep inside each one of us. Now, because the uh, soul is a part of God, Hindus believe that the human soul is sinless. It's really a lack of knowledge or understanding about the one true God that causes persons to do things that harm others or that aren't right. In fact, it's been said in Hinduism that it's a sin to call a man a sinner. It's a big difference uh, from uh, Christianity, right? So salvation, as we would call it, really comes through right knowledge deeds, and actions. This is what Dr. Charma referred to as the Dharma. When you live into that value system, uh, and that helps uh, keep you focused on what you should be doing in life. So in in the Hindu belief, this accumulation of good works or bad works means you're accumulating good karma or bad karma, and the Hindu's goal in life is to end with more good karma than bad karma. So salvation comes only when one has eliminated all of the bad karma from one's life, and you only possess good karma. So because accumulating good karma and eliminating bad karma is so difficult, Hindus believe in reincarnation or samsara. And this is the idea that uh, the soul is immortal, which we would share in Christianity, uh, but that the body dies, and they believe that if you haven't eliminated all of your bad karma, then you come back in another life and you have another opportunity to uh, make the right choices, to have good karma, and, and eliminate your bad karma over and over again, hopefully eventually getting to higher and higher degrees of spirituality. Modern um, experts of law of karma seek to emphasize both the the freedom and the predetermination that comes with living this life. D.S. Sarma has a wonderful uh, image. He says that uh, the soul of a human is like a farmer uh, to whom a plot of land has been given. We each have different size, different soil natures, different weather conditions in your life, if 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 you will, and those are all predetermined. But each one of us has the opportunity to decide how we're going to till the ground, or if we're going to till it at all, or we're just going to let it run wild and be overgrown. The aim of all Hindus is to escape that wheel of samsarma, of reincarnation, and eventually to reach what's called nirvana. And that's when the soul has eliminated all of bad karma in one's life. It is reunited with the one true God in ultimate reality and truth. 
One of the aspects of this new series I'm most excited about is I get a chance to, to go on field trips and, and visit all these different faith communities. I'm trying to find ones that are here in the Antelope Valley first and foremost, and the, to take pictures, to, to uh, observe their, their worship or their worship space, to talk to some of the leaders, maybe even bring back a few videos. On the first Sunday morning in January, I headed over to the Hindu temple of the Antelope Valley. And, and when I originally had emailed the temple asking for permission to come and to visit and to take pictures, uh, they responded by saying, the best time to come is Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Great, I have a job that calls me to work at Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Um, but Pastor Aaron was preaching on the very first Sunday of the new year, and so I used that time to sneak away a few weeks ago. The temple was built five years ago. Its main worship space, or the Garb Griha, it's called a womb house, uh, was patterned after a similar space in the Kangra district of northern India, which was the birthplace of Hinduism. They even have plans for a 25,000 square foot expansion, which would involve an, an outdoor covered patio area in this open foreground that you see right there before the temple. They ask that everyone remove their shoes before approaching the temple. Uh, We in Hawaii are used to taking off our shoes anytime we come to someone's house. So that wasn't new to me. This idea that our shoes carry dirt and out of respect for God's holiness, one should remove one's shoes. Christians and Jews need only look back to the Old Testament, right? And Moses uh, and the burning bush and God says, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. So I arrived about 30 minutes early so I could look around and, and take some photos being uh, shoeless for 30 minutes outside in January in the AV, it's a little challenging. I, I, I realized I should have worn thicker socks uh, that day. Uh, but I did notice at the far end of the entrance uh, to their um, social hall, uh, this. It's a, it's a small side room uh, detached from the main building, and inside were nine figurines of what I assumed to be various Hindu gods. Uh, I'm guessing this was a side chapel, maybe used for prayer or something. Well, in the time that I was there, I didn't see anyone that went out and interacted with it at that moment. But the entrance to the temple is painted bright orange with these colorful, decorative uh, banner flags above the entryway and a really interesting floral pattern affixed to the inner frame of the doorway. Kind of reminded me of uh, some of the floral patterns in Hawaii. Uh, Here's, again, the side view entrance of the temple building. The entrance doors are on the far right side. Uh, and then their meeting hall, which would be our social hall, is lined from floor to ceiling with glass windows. Architecturally and theologically, they say, to show that they are open and inviting and transparent to others. Once you get through the front doors, uh, you're greeted with an ornamental bell, and off in the far distance, you see that pink. That's the part that goes into their sanctuary or their worship space. This is what the entryway looked like up close and personal. Lots of color, very bright. Um, so I stood there at the back of the, the social hall for about 20 minutes or so. I got there, I mean, I got there early, and I walked into their social area at 10, and it still took another 15 or 20 minutes for their, for their service to finish. And I didn't want to go into their worship space, so I just sat back and listened. And I wanted to give you a sense of the sounds of Hindu worship, the, the chanting prayers, the ringing bells, and the clapping. So here's just a few seconds of what I imagine lasted for over an hour. Let's listen.
lot of bell ringing. Uh, I had a chance to speak with the uh, priest later that morning. The man on the right is Pandit Sri Srivamurthy. He came to be the priest at the Hindu temple in the Antelope Valley when it was built in 2015. And immediately prior to that, he had served as a priest uh, in uh, a temple in India in Bangalore uh, for 10 years. He told me that he and his associate use a variety of physical elements from nature in their worship service, uh, including various plants, fruits, liquids, and oils. There was even a time when the associate ran out or walked out of the worship space, went over to a, a tree that was in their social hall and picked off three leaves to take back and use during the service. They have three worship services every day, and folks come whenever they can. There are about 200 families in the Antelope Valley that are a part of their Hindu congregation. There are no restrictions between men and women uh, on where they can worship. In fact, they say that often families want to come and pray together, a husband, wife, and children. On the sides of the main altar, there are a number of vestibules which house various statues of some of the other Hindu gods. Worshippers are free to come and spend time praying in front of any or all of these gods as they feel moved. And interestingly, I found out that each of the gods have an animal vehicle, which called a vahana. And in, in Hindu belief, this vehicle represents the various um, spiritual and psychological forces that carry the deity and represent it. And so you'll see in, in artwork or in statues, there'll be the main god and then the little animal vehicle that will be down somewhere on the bottom or the side. So, for example, I know this picture right here is a little hard to see, uh, but the black statue is uh, it's the vestibule for Ganesha the teacher. Uh, Ganesha is always depicted as an elephant. Learning and education is very important in the Hindu faith. Uh, but the elephant is not the animal vehicle. Guess what the animal is that's connected to the elephant? A mouse. It is a mouse, yeah. It's, they said that the mouse represents timidity and nervousness that can overwhelm a person at the beginning of any new venture. So, when devotees are feeling nervous and anxious for something coming up in their lives, they will come and pray to the goddess or god Ganesha, and, and that will help them overcome that nervous feeling. Um, another example of a vahana is the god Shiva. That's one part of the Holy Trinity. Um, and... Shiva has a vehicle of a bull, and you can see it in the small statue in the foreground on this side of the velvet rope. Um, as you might imagine, it's so different uh, than, than Christianity and with our understanding of, uh, of one God. Even though they uh, believe in one true God, they have uh, hundreds and millions of gods that connect to that one true God. Before I left, I asked the priests if they had any message that they would like uh, to share to our congregation here. And they said that despite its appearances, Hinduism actually is a simple religion, they said. That they believe that all religions are good and that it's fine for people to follow whatever path they wish to follow uh, to get to God. They just ask that people not disturb others' paths which may be different from theirs. They said they give a lot of respect to Jesus and the way he lived and taught um, and, and that Hindus in general seek to support everyone in the community, not just those in their, in their faith tradition. They want to educate all, and to the best of their ability, they want to feed uh, those that are hungry, not just within their faith, but in the larger world as well. I discovered that there's no sermon or message time 
during their hour plus of worship. Uh, however, uh, the, the, the thing for visitors to come at 10 o'clock, right after their main service uh, on Sunday mornings, they have like a Sunday school time. And so I was ushered to this chair. I think you may have seen when, we sh- when I showed the video at the sounds, the chairs four or so chairs that were sitting there. The, uh, they bring more chairs out, and that's where they have the Bible study. And I participated in like an hour-long Bible study on the Bhagavad Gita. It was that, that day. And they have four different teachers that come at different times during the month uh, to teach on some of their holy writings. And so the day I was there, they were teaching on the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 3 of it. Um, and the message centered around the balance in life between prayer and devotion between your spiritual life, and then how you live that out in the world. So your acts of kindness and charity. And the ultimate goal, they said, is to produce unselfish actions without expectation of reward. Like, to use whatever gifts you've been given in life, and and to give that away to help others. And if you're not expecting anything back, that's the way that you can feel the most joy and, um, uh, and, and satisfaction in life. And that we are called to work in in cooperation so that everyone might prosper. Well, there are there are some connections where we can see similar similarities between Hinduism and Christianity, but there but some of the most basic faiths uh, uh, beliefs of Hinduism are quite different and inconsistent with some of the most basic beliefs in our faith of, of, of Christianity. So, for example, Christians believe that our souls are created in the image of God, yes, but we are distinctly separate from God, that we uh, as humans struggle with sin, and that we need a Savior, that on our own we cannot uh, be completely good. And so Jesus is the one we look look to who has given his life, who taught us, who was crucified and rose again for our salvation. And really that uh, salvation is God's gift to us through grace, through belief, not because of what we do and the actions in our life, but because of that gift, then we are called then to, do, to, to show others how we live that out in ways uh, that bless uh, and, and do not hurt. We believe that we as Christians have only one life to live uh, before we meet God face to face, and that it's actually possible for all of us to have a personal relationship with God. In Hinduism, it's, it's only those who have been through the many uh, reincarnations of life and have eliminated almost all of the bad karma uh, that can have a personal relationship with the one true God. Others, they say, can relate to God, but they cannot identify themselves with God. And one of the tenets of Christianity is that everyone can have that relationship with the Savior, with the Creator, with the Holy Spirit. Now, I recognize that I'm just beginning to to scratch the surface of this uh, complex and fascinating uh, religion of Hinduism. But I hope you've come to know a little bit more about this faith tradition, and 15% of the world uh, call themselves Hindu. So it behooves us to be at least more aware that we live in this great big world created by God, that all of us have been created in God's image May we have a little bit more compassion and grace for those who who may not see the world the same way that we see it. And may we come to show uh, our respect for our Hindu brothers and sisters as they seek to live out their journey of faith. And all God's people said, Amen.